Hello, it's Julie Bindle, and this week I'm speaking with Sybil Ruth. So I went online and my profile had been removed from the website. At that point, my blood started running cold. Sybil worked in publishing, in the field of creative writing, and she did that job for nearly 30 years. She's widely published as a writer of poetry and prose. She's what she and I and many others would describe as a second wave feminist, a proper feminist, who's now 64 years old. And she was driven out of her job. Guess why? Just guess. Well, it was because she had dared to say something about supporting single-sex spaces and being against self-identification in the sense that she objected to men claiming to be women when they are not. As you will hear, she did take action against her former employers and it's been resolved. But here's her story. In about the beginning of 2021, I realised I needed to up my income stream. I, it's a very unglamorous story. I needed some dental implants done. And uh, so was, my income had sort of taken a knock during COVID, as many people working sort of freelance had. And I thought, I've got, just got to get myself organised again. I did some research into other agencies doing this kind of work and contacted one and went through a kind of process where I did a sort of trial assignment. You know, they wanted to know a bit about how I'd left the previous agency. And then after a, a sort of, you know, kind of bit, bit of polite toing and froing, I can, you know, I, I picked up the threads. I was doing essentially very much the kind of work I'd been doing before, but because it was a different agency, you know, the things like the mentoring took a slightly different form. And I was enjoying the stimulus of that. It's remote work. So you don't have a very, very strong idea about who you're working with. And that's that. I think that makes it both better and worse. I think that sometimes if you've been working face to face with colleagues and you really, really believe your friends and then you discover your friends have been emailing and plotting to get rid of you, which which has happened to some gender critical feminism feminists, that has a particular kind of pain about it. Um, but as I say, you know, everything had been polite and everything had been professional. And then after about 15 months in, I was working on an assignment, simply contacted the agency and saying, could you get the author to send me a manuscript in a different format, like a Word document rather than PDF, because then I can mark it up um, more easily. And then about a day later, I got a reply saying, um, actually, something's going on. Could you not do this assignment? And that is a very, very odd thing to happen. There was no particular explanation, but I simply assumed there'd been some major administrative error where sometimes you can match the wrong author with the wrong editor that they'd actually wanted somebody else. So that was problem one. But I thought, well, put it to, put it to bed, you know, put it on one side. Um, we all screw up. The second thing that happened was a rather sinister email came out, which was to all the editors. And it was simply talking about the organization's um, principles and values. Oh, that values, that, that values word. Values, yes, not in alignment 
with our values. How many times have I heard that recently? I don't think I've actually showed you this email, Julie, but you seem to know the kind of thing. I mean, to to give them credit, they um, correctly stated that the 2010 Act was the Equality Act, and they did talk about the protected characteristics um, you know, that, that they were sort of named properly. They hadn't sort of invented things like gender identity as a protected characteristic. As Stonewall does. Yeah. They were talking about hate and their right to get rid of anybody, you know, that they would get rid of anybody who didn't align with their values. And this made me feel uneasy. I mean, they were talking about how everybody who worked for them was a brand ambassador, you know, uh, authors will look people up on social media. And I mean, I think I accept that. It's a sort of... I mean, I think if I was looking for an editor, if I'd written a book, I don't think I'd care too much about the politics or the personality. You know, I just want somebody who is a good editor and who is experienced in the particular, if I was writing a thriller, I'd want somebody who is good at editing thrillers. It wouldn't really bother me whether it was a sort of 20 year old vegan or a 70 year old sort of person who was enthusiastic about hunting or something like that. I just want to know that they could do the job. I think there's a distinction between who you are professionally and you know whatever your personal beliefs might happen to be. But I think there's a problem with the literature world or maybe in society more generally, where it just becomes, I don't agree with you about this particular thing, therefore you're a bad person. And it seemed to me that the email was sort of rather going down that line because words like hate seem to be branded, you know, thrown about in a very, very casual way now. And I mean, I'm, from a German Jewish background. My my mother came over as a refugee. So I think, you know, for me, when people talk about hate, it's got a particular kind of resonance. And I felt very concerned that the agency might be trying to be over-enthusiastic and say, almost like, unless you think exactly as we do, this thing about sharing our values. This was an organization where about 50 different editors were working there. How could we all have the same values? It's, it's interesting also the kind of hate, uh, use of the term hate and use of the term Nazi or fascist or even just leap directly to Hitler. This has been happening for quite some time now in the way that feminists, human rights activists, sometimes Jewish themselves have been accused of practising actual fascism by people, usually men, that have no idea what fascism actually is or what hate actually is. Yes, I mean, I don't know. I spend a lot of time thinking about my grandparents and the worlds in which they lived. And I mean, they got out in 1937, they were doctors, and that meant that after some sort of struggle, they managed to live, you know, they managed to get permission to work here. And... If anything, I mean, I think that the sort of analogies to 1930s Germany are overused, but I I sometimes find myself turning itself around and thinking about gender critical feminists and how it feels as if we're being rather boxed in and marginalised and sort of the spaces in which we can operate. I mean, that Jenny Watson, who's setting up a lesbian dating agency, how it's becoming harder and harder just to do the most ordinary things. 
And so I think there's a bit of kind of Darvo, you know, deny and reverse victim offender going on, that the people who are accusing gender critical feminists of being totalitarian are actually operating in some very, very dodgy ways. I agree. I agree. Um, you know, my in-laws were in the US during McCarthyism and they saw a creeping style of McCarthyism in this country, you know, many, many decades later, which is you are her heretic if you speak out about something that we insist you shouldn't speak out about, you will be condemned and punished. If you have any comment whatsoever on any particular issue, it had better be on the absolute right line or you will be punished. So I think it's interesting the way that totalitarianism, either McCarthyism or what was happening in the build-up to the Second World War in, in Germany, um, you know, is there are shades of it but we don't actually call those people Nazis for telling us that we are transphobic or bigoted. We don't actually use those tactics against them. But we recognise totalitarianism of a type, I think. Anyway, because of these concerns, I, when I got this email, I wrote back to the agency. I emailed them and said, look, you know, I'm quite concerned about this. My other job is I work in Birmingham libraries. I absolutely agree, you know, with not discriminating against people, with trying to... Um, you know, the, the value of equality, treating everybody with dignity and respect, you know, acknowledging difference and so on. That's, there's, there's no problem there. What is problematic to me is the fact that sometimes people who believe in the you know importance of biological sex and wanting women only spaces, that people with those views are being framed as hateful and so it was a great relief to me that the Maya Forstater case, because at that point there'd been the sort of her appeal had been successful, had sort of said that gender critical beliefs are worthy of note, you know, worthy of respect in a democratic society. And I said I was very happy to discuss this with them further, you know, and you know, that I sort of signed off. And I got a rather cool response, which was just, your views have been noted. And so that combined with having been um taken off an assignment of work that I'd started on made me feel as if that despite the fact that I'd had very good client feedback everything was going well you know I had no doubts about my own work that for some reason maybe I wasn't flavor of the month and I thought well what what, what can I do about that and I thought well one thing I can do is um, go and edit my profile on the agency's website to make sure that, you know, all my skills were there so that um, clients who approach the agency might look look on me favourably and, and ask to work with me. So I went online and my profile had been removed from the website. So that at that point, my blood started running cold. You know, and I mean, I sort of looked. It was, it was a time when my car was stolen. It was exactly the same thing. You know, I'd look at the space where my car or my profile should be. And they just, you know, there was this period of disbelief. I thought, are they, you know, kind of reorganizing the website? You know, have they sort of rebooted? But all the other editors were there and I wasn't. So I wrote to them, you know, and it just sort of said, um, just check the website. Um, my profile doesn't appear to be there. Could, could you just let me know, is there a reason? And they just said, oh, we don't think we're going to use you anymore. You know, they, they refreshed their stable of editors 
you know, regularly and sort of so they didn't think they'd be sending more work my way. And that's why they'd remove me, which, you know, if there'd been lots of dissatisfied clients or something would make some kind of sense. But that was absolutely not the case. And I thought, what do I do? I mean, I had, a, you know, I just knew that they weren't levelling with me. What did it feel like, Sybil? What did it feel like when they responded to you in that way? Do you remember? Um, I mean, I think it was just shock. I don't think I was, I mean, I was very upset, but I mean, not in a sort of weeping and wailing way. It was more, you've got to keep your head together. You've got to find out what's happening. I mean, I had a strong suspicion it was because of my gender critical views and that I also knew that for something like resorting to social media to sort of say, I think I've been dumped because I'm a gender critical feminist. I mean, that social media has got its uses. It's very valuable for sort of spreading information. But I didn't have hard information. No. And and let's let's actually backtrack a little bit and lay out for our listeners exactly what your views are and how they became public. Because clearly they did for for your place of work. I suppose I'm, if you were sort of putting categories on, you'd say I was a second wave feminist. I'm sort of 64 now. So I sort of grew up at a time where, you know, the female eunuch had been published and... You know that there was there was an explosion, for example, in feminist publishing as well. You know the rediscovering of women's writing, and my own personal experience also meant that feminism, you know, the sort of analysis of how power worked, made a huge amount of sense to me. And fortunately, my 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 father was a very difficult character, and that my mother's way of dealing with him was to do with sort of appeasement, shall we say. So I think that it's always perhaps one of the issues that's been strong at the forefront of my mind is the need for women in only spaces. I, I mean, again, it's a bit like the word that hate gets used in very odd ways now. I think that the way in which safe spaces has been used has been, it has become very odd. Because if you get the idea of a safe space as one where you're only with people who you're in total ideological agreement, seems to me to be an abuse of women. You know, it's taking away women's real need for physical safety and for dignity and for privacy and hijacking that that term. So I think that I've I've always had these views and that they have seemed to me to be very, very ordinary views. I think there was a while, you know, it's a long period in which those views were absolutely mainstream. And I think it was only with um, proposals to um, change the Gender, Re Gender Recognition Act and that, um, you know, the consultation that happened that I realised quite how strongly the tide was shifting. I think before that, I'd had the rather sort of classic view of anybody who regards themselves as progressive, um, just that any marginalised group needed to be treated with empathy and respect. And there's nothing in me that's changed about that. But I think, you know, it can be, 
it can take a little while to realize that sort of there's a certain kind of activism going on which essentially seeks to take everything that is specifically female away and how scary and damaging that is. And how did it become known that you, for example, think that we should have single sex spaces and that biological sex should trump gender identity, that kind of thing? What did you say publicly or who did you talk to about it? Who then relayed it publicly? I mean, before lockdown, I'd gone to a Women's Place UK meeting and that had sort of very much helped me to make sense of the fact that politically there was a real problem if parties were trying to win votes by, you know, by sort of selling women down the river, if you like. And... I think Twitter became increasingly important to me during lockdown, simply because whereas I'd sort of, you know, started making one or two real life connections with people, those connections became difficult to sustain. So I think it was, you know, just just commenting on, you know, commenting on articles, right. um, linking up with particular organisations like Sex Matters, being particularly concerned about the way I think issues around freedom of expression as well. I think women's speech is policed particularly heavily. And the fact that female writers seem to be being, you have to be the right kind of female writer mm-hmm. and that you have to be somebody who 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 basically said, well, men become become women, a woman is anybody who identifies as female. And that if either in your writing or in your in your in your creative work or if in your personal life you spoke up in defense of female-only space and women's rights, that there seemed to be absolutely vicious backlash from parts of the publishing industry when it seems to me that if the publishing industry cannot I mean, I was very concerned, for example, though it wasn't specifically about, um, in in this case, about the rights to women's only space, by the backlash Kate Plant she was um, received for her book. And that, again, it felt that if you own, she, she received a lot of flack for describing um, a young man she'd taught as having an Ashkenazi nose. And I think another thing that happens with criticism of writers is that writing is often taken completely out of context because she was talking about somebody who was about how young, some of the young people she was teaching in Essex, because they were very sort of often people in Essex are quite sort of displaced. They've come from elsewhere. Maybe they've come from London. She was talking about how certain groups don't necessarily have an acknowledgement of their history and a sort of pride in it that you know for some somebody who say a refugee who's an afghani woman might have a huge pride and huge knowledge of their heritage both as a young man whose name and whose appearance or whatever indicated he could well be from a jewish background just didn't seem to be in in touch seemed to have no interest there was no no connection with the familial past yeah so the way that there feels like almost like kind of punishment beatings being dished out to authors who appeared to have transgressed in some way so that that's probably a bit of a sort of sidetrack but I think the sort of culture of intolerance which was very and a, a sort of real intolerance towards gender critical feminism bothered me and at some point the thing that had sort of then triggered 
um, the organization's desire to remove me turned out to be, I had commented on a photograph which another writer had put on Twitter, which was of a man, clearly a man, very, very heavy five o'clock shadow, who is undergoing some form of transition. And at some point I'd done the one word comment nightmare. And I then qualified it by saying, in a sort of second tweet, by saying, obviously people can wear whatever they want to wear. But for me, the problem is when, the, you know, if a man thinks because he's put on lipstick and is wearing a pink jacket and a handbag with a gold chain, that that entitles that person to use women-only spaces and to be compel other people to say that they're a woman. So yes. that was what was regarded as objectionable by the organisation that I worked for. I see. Yes. Well, I mean, the bar is so low that a world champion limbo dancer would be flummoxed by this. So obviously one just has to step out of line from the authoritarian trans Taliban uh, just a tiny little bit. And you are condemned as roundly uh, for being a bigot and a transphobe, as is a man who kicks a trans person to death in the street. So we know we know that that is how we are punished because young women in particular and also older women who should know better and who are high profile but who are quite cowardly watch themselves constantly not only to ensure that they don't say the quote unquote wrong thing but they are constantly saying the right thing and that is the scariest thing. That is the opposite, the antithesis of feminism, where we built the movement, as well you know, we're both what you would call second wave feminists. We built the movement on the honest, open um, and true testimony of women so that we found a collective truth, so that we understood that it wasn't just one of us that had been sexually abused by her father. It wasn't just one of us who was being controlled and beaten by her husband, etc. And now we're being forced into a position back previous to that moment, prior to those days, where we are being controlled. Our speech is being controlled. And not only that, but the truth is being distorted. And that's what matters to me, that we know that men are not women and that women-only spaces exist because enough men are sexual predators for us to exclude all men from certain spaces. What is wrong with that? That's what we built the movement on all those decades ago. Yeah. I mean, I think a thing that's also puzzling me a lot is despite, you know, although I have the, my, a German Jewish background on my mother's side, I was also brought up as a Quaker. And for me, it it feels that almost like regardless of whether you're a woman and a feminist, almost as a human duty, we should be trying to speak the truth. I mean, most of us will deal with the sort of honest, there's a small level of social dishonesty. Like if somebody says, do you like this new pair of trousers? And I think it's hideous. I will say, I think it's a lovely colour or something like that, or it's nice material. You know, that I, I'm not so to say that there aren't times when a certain amount of evasion will sort of kind of oil the wheels socially. But I think that it feels something that has really started to hit women because it is quite a gendered thing is be kind, be kind, this endless mantra. And when are you ever saying be truthful? Because um, I think 
too much kindness means that the kind of safeguarding you're talking about, whether it's women's safety or the safety of children, is what what has become of us? You know, I sort of think as if we're all living this post-Trump. You know, the fact that we've got politicians lying on all parties, though, though some parties seem to be doing considerably worse than others, um, it, it, it feels as if, again, that women are suffering particularly under the impact of all this lying, and we are being told to lie ourselves. And, yeah, as if perhaps one shouldn't be nostalgic about second-wave feminism, but the idea... I, I think it is coming back on a level of we're just we've got to, we, we're needing to get back to be with one another and just actually speak the truth together in order to give ourselves strength to go and speak the truth in a sort of outside world that is often astonishingly hostile. Yes, I concur. And I think that the more of us that fight back and the more of us that take cases against those that employ us, commission us to do paid work, manage us as interns or volunteers, lead our college courses, all of those situations from which we have been excluded, then the, the message will get through to these authoritarians that we are not going to take this line down, that we're not going to actually fold and run to a corner and shrivel up and cry. That's as we said before, this is the antithesis of feminism. We have to resist. And this is nothing but a men's rights movement, a deeply misogynistic men's rights movement, obviously, but one nevertheless. Tell me what you're doing to push back against what's happened to you, and then we'll work out how we can support you. Um, well, the, I mean, I had some really good support from the Free Speech Union because when I, when I sort of first had been removed from the website and was thinking what do I do I asked some female friends who I was in a sort of small group with you know I think I've been sacked because of my gender critical views what what should I do and they said contact FSU who then you know went through the process of I got a subject access request so I could find out what had been going on behind the scenes um, you know, we did the employment tribunal. They fixed me up with an absolutely brilliant lawyer, Doyle Clayton, called Emma Hamnett. And so, you know, after 15 months further down the line, um, a settlement has been negotiated and a, an apology has been issued. So that enables me to move on. I think the issue is, although my own sort of personal case has been resolved, and I think I have been fortunate in the amount of support that I received and it's a good outcome it, it it sort of feels like one of these sort of almost like a game where you know one woman is being sort of knocked down almost like a sort of skittles and then the skittles are sort of stood up again and then you know bam you know they, ju they just go for somebody else so at the moment I've just started having some um conversations with another person who's in a similar employment dispute so that if my own experiences can be of use to other people that's something I want to do. I do think I've been relatively fortunate in other respects. I mean the fact that I'm towards the end of my working life on one level is difficult because I can't necessarily reinvent myself. I mean, I feel a bit reluctant, although I've received the apology, a bit reluctant to go back into that kind of work because I feel the industry is still very, very captured. And 
I'm left with this slight feeling of vulnerability and protectiveness. It was bad enough that it happened once. I really do not think I could bear to go through it again. And I'm also quite interested in some ways in going back to university and doing a master's degree. And there's a course I'm interested in. I made an inquiry. The admissions tutor wrote me a lovely email back and, you know, put up her pronouns in the signature and somebody else doing the course is saying often the seminars start with all these students you know these um uh, young people who are sort of probably in their 20s going around sort of say well before we start the seminar let's all do our pronouns so you know the battle is never over really and I think for me it's just a question of how best to use my experiences and how best to use my energy to assist other people and to keep making connections. It's an odd experience. I think both you and I are of the left and there's that pain where sometimes the support you get is from people who are very, very different political backgrounds. But I think I tend to think, I, I, I listened to a debate that you did with Helen Joyce about, I think I just keep so telling myself about strategic alliances that, that sort of sometimes, I think the Labour Women's Declaration has done brilliant work, but sometimes trying to work for change within some parties or organisations can almost feel like hanging on in a sort of abusive relationship. So I think politically, I'm very much homeless at the moment and kind of floating around and God knows what I'll do when it's a general election. I mean, you, you and I... Yeah, I, th I think you know you and I are quite similar in that sense. Yes, we're we're of the left, and and yes, I will always consider strategic alliances. But of course, everybody has a line in the sand. Everyone, and I won't work with people that are actively campaigning or legislating to remove the rights that I and other feminists before me fought for, abortion and equal marriage. I mean, I'm you know anti-marriage, but I'm completely and utterly against discrimination I mean if, if Jews were told you can't marry but you could have a civil partnership it, it would be named rightly so as anti-semitic so I mean there are there are things that I hold dear that I don't even necessarily agree with in terms of a lifestyle choice but but I will fight to support and I won't work with those on the religious right that are seeking to remove liberty for refugees asylum seekers and and the rest but i will work with those on the soft right who are socially liberal and who don't work to denigrate working class or other marginalized people and who have common sense about this issue the problem i've got and i don't know sybil if if you would agree with this but the problem i have with some people on the right that stand up and seemingly support us over the gender madness are often doing it through bigotry. I mean, often they just think that trans people are freaks, lesbians are freaks, gay men are freaks, um, and they don't like trans people because they think of them as weirdos. Um, I, of course, oppose all gender ideology because it's, um, it works against my feminist principles and it's dangerous for women, but... But I have heard people on the right say men are men and women are women and sounding exactly like those pre-feminist idiots that want to get us back in the kitchen and think that we should behave as they consider women should behave. That's not feminism. And if we support them in their, yes, men are men and women are women and you can't change sex, then we would agree with those words. But are we ending up allying ourselves with people who are actual bigots? 
and work against the interests of women. I suppose what's helpful is to try and establish clarity or agreement, if there is any, about the areas in which sex matters. And it seems to me that gender critical feminists have been very good at campaigning around specific areas, sport, changing rooms, issues in education and schools. And I think that perhaps there's been, it it concerns me a bit that there appears to be less consideration about the needs of religious women. I mean, you know, I, I live in Birmingham. And so, for example, if, you know, gyms or whatever and leisure centres start saying, well, the women only send sessions about gender identity, um, there seems to be quite a strong feeling that if you're of a certain religious group, which means that culturally there are some separate spheres, you know, that you're just some sort of traditional bigot and there's no room for you in a secular society. And I think the kind of place of religious women in that, that debate is something which concerns me. I think there's a lot of political opportunism that while the Conservative Party appears to be a little more comfortable with sort of biological definitions of sex. I mean, how much of it is about point scoring? I mean, who's, you know, it's a question about which political parties are actually sort of foregrounding women's other needs as, you know, for example, people who are often affected by austerity and who often are, you know, taking responsibility for a family budget, you know, that, that it feels as if, if the Conservatives are trying to show themselves as supporters of women, there's really quite a lot more work to be done. And I'm not convinced by Rishi Sunak. I mean, I don't think Rishi Sunak's party is convinced by Rishi Sunak at, at, at present. <laughs> So I don't know if that's an answer to the question. It's probably a long rambling digression of just the difficulties of being a sort of political person and, um, you know, where, where to create alliances that, mm. as, you, as you say, it's I think it's strategic and it's it's soft right. And if sort of, you know, somebody like Matt Walsh is sort of saying, well, women are completely useless and they can't open jam jars and you just think their brains are wired differently. You know, I sort of think, no, I no, know. there are certain differences and in key areas. And let's look at those. But well, let's not get into the men from Mars, women are from Venus. Quite. I mean, Matt, Matt Walsh is the is the opposite side of the, the exact same coin in that he believes in pink and blue brains, as do the trans activists. So to hell with him, really. Now look, um, let's let's end on a positive note because clearly what you've been through is hellish and many of us listening to this interview will have been through shades of similar. Um, everybody's experience is different, but, you know, many of us have experienced this, this hideous shutting down of voices, of kicking, being kicked out of jobs and the like. And then there are the men who insist it doesn't happen. I mean, Owen Jones, Billy Bragg. Or, or folks on both sides. I mean, so, you know, oh. some, some some guys, you know, just kind of, oh, why is everybody getting so upset about this? I know. I mean, I did I did an, a, a, a debate with the brilliant Ian Hershey Alley against these two boys. Just Google me and Ian Hershey Alley and cancel culture and you'll find it. 
And of course, we were talking about women being silenced and cancelled and deplatformed and no platformed, which has been happening to me. It'll be 20 years in January next year. Happy anniversary. Thank you. Thank you. I, I intend to have a big party, actually, to which um, many, uh, including yourself, will be invited that have been in this struggle. But, you know, these boys were insisting it doesn't happen because, of course, Unless it happens directly to them, it doesn't happen because women's experiences just don't exist. And, you know, we wipe the floor with with these penises um, on this debate and we will continue to do that. But well, that's a good use. I think it is really, isn't it? So let's let's end on on a positive note. Tell me the, about the future of feminism and the future of resistance to all misogyny. What part are you going to play in this? For example, will we be seeing each other at Philia this weekend coming? Um, sadly, no, though I think that's going to be um, a treat a treat in, in store in future years. I think that, to be honest, I've got two completely conflicting impulses that part of me is saying to myself, um, you know, after a sort of 15-month struggle... That I mean, you know, you've been battling away for twenty years. That that I mean, this you know, the struggle isn't over. My personal struggle isn't over. The collective struggle isn't over. I think there is a sort of feeling of just taking a bit of time to read some good books and reflect and walk and have a laugh and hang out with my mates. I think the area where I can probably be have the most effective voice well there's sort of two areas I mean one is the area of sort of women who are who the freedom of speech area and that I think as I stated I want to assist and work with them and help them support them in their struggles and you know help if if people want publicity or a platform to kind of align myself with that I think the other thing is about the kind of debates that are going on in the literature sector so that if women are being silenced in terms of what they want to write or how they have written to help draw attention to that and speak out against it and feeling that I you know I don't want to compete with you for gigs Julie but you know that as if I ought to be writing some more about these issues and try to sort of put it out online there's plenty of room for all of us the more the merrier yeah good good well I, th- I think we can each offer our own sort of set of experiences and perspectives so that we can uh, we can we can collaborate which is great it is and it's so lovely to get to meet you albeit virtually and very much looking forward to meeting you in person at some stage but for now just know as you do that we are with you and we will support you. And also just to say thank you for being one of well, thank you for being one of the many women and one of the you know the, the growing army of women that are speaking out and refusing to capitulate. Thank you. That's that's a, a happy way to end. Thank you for listening. And as both Sybil and I agreed, the more women and men that speak out about this gender madness, about the McCarthyism and the totalitarianism surrounding the gender issue, the better it will be. And those that can take cases against employers or universities or whoever, 
when we are discriminated against as women, as feminists, the better. Bye for now.